1: Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This episode is being recorded on Tuesday, March 20th, 2018. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual,
2: I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. We are live, live, live in beautiful Las Vegas here for the Shop Talk Show. And we're really excited to have two guests on the show. It's a rare time when we actually were able to loop in two people crazy enough to be on the show.
1: Our listeners are getting twice their money.
2: Yeah, they are, yeah. Double the bang for the buck. Uh, We're excited to have on this show Samir Bhavnani and Sri Rajagopalan. Samir is area vice president of 1010. We'll have to ask him what area he covers uh, and uh, 1010 data. And this is his second time on the show. Uh, he was super helpful in episode 103, where we did the deep dive on Amazon private label. And he was kind enough to share some really interesting data they have on that. So we're looking forward to getting an update on that and any other interesting data topics he brings back. Welcome back, Samir. Thanks for having me. You're in the rare elite status of uh, the two timer club, so there is not a three times. We'll we'll, we'll see how it goes today. No three. There is
1: some competition to be the first three timer, though, so no pressure.
2: Uh, and Samir was kind enough to bring along someone he found downstairs. Uh, he bought in, uh, Sri, who is the VP of e-commerce at this, uh, small, uh, kind of, uh, entrepreneurial brand shop called Johnson and Johnson. Uh, Sri has had a storied career at brands that include not only J&J, but Frito-Lay PepsiCo.
3: It's great to have you on the show, Sri. Thank you so much. That's me, man. That's my middle name, All Style, No Substance. But thank you for knowing that. <laughs> You're doing your homework in advance.
1: Yeah. It's a little-known <laughs> fact, but 100% of Scott's calories come from those three brands. So yes, that's perfect. a big
3: fan. In a previous life, I'd have said thank you for putting yeah. my paychecks in the mail. Yeah. You're, so, yeah, But I have stock, so it still matters.
1: Yeah, good. Uh, so thrilled to have you on the show. Um, one of the ways we always start the show is uh, to tell the listeners a little bit about uh, how you started your career and kind of walk us through – your uh, matriculation to your current role.
3: And so believe it or not, I'm living proof that anybody can work in digital and e-commerce. And let me tell you why. Fairly straightforward. So I uh, came to this country 25 odd years ago to go to school at Virginia Tech. Dishwashing was my first job. Go Hokies. Even, even drove a truck for a living. Thank you very much. Hopefully this year we'll go to the ACC championship. Okay. Um, I'm talking football, yeah. not basketball, to be clear. Yeah. So um, once I graduated, got recruited by a market research firm, IRI, Nielsen's competitor, maybe someday 1010's competitor. Um, and then They already are. Eventually, they just don't know it yet. They just don't know it yet. That's how the digital industry works. Most people don't know. And so while spending time at IRI, one of the leaders at Pepsi came to me, a VP of sales and said, dude, why are you working for IRI? You should be working for Pepsi. And I said, why not give it a shot? So I spent many years at PepsiCo, a decade and change- worked in all different functions, divisions, have been in IT, in sales, sales leadership, sales accounts leadership. Last job before getting into digital retail was actually a dollar drug convenience business, owning the joint business plan with the customers, everything from the little guys like Quick Trip, the gas station, to Dollar General. Then one day while having won some displays at one of my customers when I was returning as a career leadership opportunity, I was offered, why did not you start up e-commerce for Frito-Lay? And I thought it was a demotion. What the heck is going on? Wow. And um, that's six years ago. And six years later, I haven't looked back, and I will probably, I'll say publicly, never re- return to a full-time brick-and-mortar retail job ever. No chance. No one's going to get me there. So in the six years, I've had the fortune of starting up e-com for Frito. One of the things I realized is when your CEO asks you, I was well-trained having driven a truck once, a route, that... Um, when you see your ass, you figure out a way. We had 30 days. We had to figure out a strategy. Lo and behold, we started scripting it, writing it. And uh, I got to do that for free though. I get to do it all over again at Johnson & Johnson. It's been three quick years. I got 11 days left to complete three years. Magical three years. That's my story. In private life, I'm an entrepreneur. I've got a record label. It's called Valdir Records. I'm also in real estate development in Texas and uh, also in other businesses. So what, that's my middle name.
1: What, cool. what do you do with all your free time?
3: Hang out with you guys <laughs> a lot more. A smart man. A smart <laughs> <Yeah>. man. <laughs>
2: cool. So uh, I'm a big fan of Indra Nui. Uh, have you ever uh, met her?
3: Many times. Yeah. Here's a funny story for the listeners her daughter, Tara, actually learned dance from my wife a couple of times. Cool. It's yeah, back yeah. in the days.
2: Yeah, they, uh, one of my favorite podcasts other than the Jason Scott show is Freakonomics. And they just did a whole series about, you know, what is a CEO and they really highlighted her. And she was, you know, she was very well spoken about, you know, how, how she thinks about being a CEO and, and the, you know, being a woman CEO and all that stuff. Is very, she's a very uh, awesome
3: leader. So let me give you uh, another story out here. And Indra, please don't kill me or listeners don't kill me for giving this out. Humility. Indra practicing humility, right? So um, I think before I got promoted from a director to a senior director, we had a rule back then. She was the CFO, CEO, and we had to interview with her. So I interviewed with her. She started asking me about my background. And I casually mentioned that that time my wife was running a classical Indian dance school. So I mentioned. She starts asking me questions. Of course, I had no clue. Now Indra knows the truth. I had no clue, but I made something up. She said, give me your wife's phone number. I'm like, yeah, here, here it is. About two weeks later my wife calls me and says, Hey, do you know who was at our house today? I'm like, Who? She's like, Indra knew no, he was at our house and I'm like, Why? And she said, Hey, she was sitting here, sitting on the floor with her daughter, watching her daughter actually dance because she wanted her to learn classical in and that was in the afternoon on a weekday. And I'm like, Mom, humility, business leader, one of the most powerful Fortune Finder leaders in the one of the most powerful women leaders in the world. That's what life's about. Yeah. Interesting.
2: Uh, your, your record label, I assume, does it have something to do with Indian music? Seems like that's Far theme. from.
3: Far from. Oh, okay. Although maybe I shouldn't say that because my, we started a record label, it's called Valdio Records, because my daughter was an American Idol finalist two years ago. Her name is Ria Raj. And she works with DJs all over the world. Collab. In fact, we're going to Belgium next Wednesday to um, do a music video. Nice. So she's got her own channel, YouTube, following things of that nature. So it's, and she sings pop and EDM. So she actually doesn't know the Indian language. Shame on us. Mm -hmm. Uh, But although now with her reach and appeal, Indian DJs have started to reach out. And I have a project on my hand, a text message from my wife this morning that asked me for four lines in Hindi. Nice. Indian DJ. Do they have to rhyme? I hope I can figure that out. Although I did tell you all style, no substance. (laughs) Rhyme is about style. I can make this work. Okay, cool. Hey guys, if I didn't thank Samir for having me on the show, it wouldn't be right. So thank you for connecting me with Jason and Scott.
2: Glad we're all doing this. Yeah, you could uh, take over my job as showrunner here. So yeah, it's a tough. You're doing a better job. You <laughs> need right. a pinch hitter. <laughs> cool. So let's talk a little bit about J and J. So you've been three years on the job. Um, when they started, did they already have an e-commerce initiative, or are you kind of got it from ground zero?
3: So when I when um, they started looking for somebody to come and start this up. JJ had stopped ship with Amazon. That was the only real business. There were a lot of issues with quality, things of that nature. It was a mutual decision to not have the relationship. So we were really experimenting in D2C, not truly practicing out D2C. Yeah. Omni was too tiny to kind of really count. Mm-hmm. So um, the goal was to start up all pieces of e-com. So that's Omni, that's the Walmart.coms, the Target.coms, Truly put, and then obviously Amazon and B2B, D2C. We've played D2C out now pretty well. You should check out Neutrogena.com and Rogaine.com. True commerce in action, not just a website. Um, We've managed to upgrade those platforms to demandware, put a plug in. They don't pay me to endorse them, but it actually works and it's pretty cool. That's Salesforce e-commerce club. Say thank you sir. Thank you thank you for <laughs> being technically accurate. So.
1: Uh, you don't know how ironic it is. That's you now have the entire <coughs> body of knowledge that Scott has of e-commerce platforms.
3: Well done. Well done. <laughs> I've learned it you often, Chase. Oh, no. All Easy. substance less style, the opposite. So. <laughs> so we we had to start it up while it's going to offend people if I say from scratch, but the mm-hmm. reality is that's what we had to do. We had to put together a team, really get going in all directions. We're fortunate. Business has grown. Consumers have responded. Retailers have partnered. We found amazing vendors to partner with. And let me just put out an honest truth out there in this journey in e You can't do it yourself. You're going to have to partner with vendors. And in this case, unlike popular belief and ROI and all that stuff, more is better. I'm literally here for 24 hours. I flew in last night. I fly out on the red eye. All I'm doing other than this show is meet with vendors.
2: Interesting. Cool. So, um, so for folks that aren't familiar with J and J, and even I have limited knowledge. I know health and beauty is a big category for you guys. Uh, and then do you guys? And then I think there's a there's a huge drug division, um, but that's more like prescription. And there's some over the counter. What other are you guys in the pet category? Um, in you know what other and snacks? I don't I don't know what all categories you're in
3: at this point. Sure. When you think of J J and J, there's three parts to J and J. One is pharma, mm-hmm. so that's your classic prescription medication. Yep. You go to a CVS, a Walgreens, or I did any. Retailer deals in prescriptions and you buy J&J product. Um, then you have the medical devices section. So everything from stents that are put in the heart to diabetic care, which of course we announced a sale recently. It's publicly been announced. And then there's the consumer sector. I'm in the consumer sector. Mm-hmm. So the, if you, And if you start dissecting the consumer sector, think of it as three different pieces. There's the beauty care piece. Yep. Popular bands are clean and clear. Of course, the big Neutrogena. Mm. Aveno is another one gaining a lot of popularity, especially with baby. Um, the second piece is the self care area, which is I'm sure you've heard of allergy relief, which is Zyrtec. Mm, big uh, fan. Pain medication, Tylenol. Mm-hmm. So um, Band-Aid for wound care. Yep. Listerine for oral care, mm. and of course the legendary, famous every mom wants to have it in her uh, kind of in her bathroom for her child, daughter, son, whatever it might be. Johnson's baby. Mm. That forms the Portfolio of Johnson & Johnson. No more so, tears. No more tears. Hey, good one, good one.
2: Good one. <laughs> can picture the bottle. Good yep. one. Indeed. That's a strong brand one that just like pops right in your head like that. Yeah.
3: If you come by and visit us sometime, I'll walk you through the baby Hall of Fame, where there's the advertising, which started, nine, I think, somewhere midway through this last century, no more tears. Mm-hmm. And we've got a whole Hall of Fame picture story on it. So
2: Cool. I think I interrupted you, sir. So you're going through the three. I got so excited about the baby stuff.
3: (laughs) So those are are like the mega brands. Of course, there are many other brands outside of the mega brands as well. So um, the, the change that's really happened is all of these brands scaled in store due to the consumer shifting habits. Many of them, almost all of them, are bought online now. They're not just bought at Amazon, although Amazon is a big piece of it. Consumers want a choice. Mom wants a choice where to shop. And we're truly living into where to buy and where to shop which is not just one retailer or one place, but brick and mortar as well as Omni, as well as Amazon, well as um, D2C. Awesome.
1: Yep, and uh, obviously all those brands are sold wholesale, in-store and uh, online. Um, a few of those brands, you're now selling D2C online, right? And That's, So which are those?
3: Yep, Neutrogena. Of course, under Neutrogena, there are many subcategories. There's acne cleansers, mm-hmm. there's acne care, There's facial moisturizer therapy. There's body lotions, hand and body care. Um, So when you think of the brand, it's all label Neutrogena, but it's many multiple subcategories. And then there's the, uh, I would say, hair restoration, Rogaine. We're doing DTC on that one as well. Yeah. But don't think of... Why is everyone
2: looking at me when they say Rogaine? We may need need their sponsorship on the show. (laughs) Let
3: me tell you guys something. Rogaine actually works when people ask me that. But the key to using and winning with Rogaine is using it before someone goes completely bald. Because the formula needs something to work on, not <laughs> Chris, just dead skin. Now they're
1: even looking at me harder. <laughs> um, the, and uh, one of the things that's interesting to me about your role is a lot of CPGs, when they have an e-com role, uh, I'm always curious what they mean. Because sometimes what they mean is help our wholesale brands sell stuff on their e-commerce sites better. Sometimes they mean like launch our direct-to-consumer and you're exclusively launch, uh, responsible for the direct-to-consumer Um, My perception is that you have sort of both sides of that. Is that.
3: I had to touch everything, and I think it's by design. So when we started this up three years, we made a conscious choice, we'll touch everything, because we had to influence and build an ecosystem. Ecosystem is not just the numbers and sales, right? It's the content piece of it. It's the SEO part of it. It's the SEM part of it. If you go back three years in history, these were not common household words. Now now they are, so different place and time. I'm sitting with experts over here, three experts, So all of this makes sense. I still sit in sessions now with external parties, et cetera, where these words still don't make sense, right? So we had to touch the entire ecosystem. But my belief is over the course of time, though, the only way any CPG company will be truly successful is content needs to be owned at the innovation cycle. So when a product is born, a brand needs to own content from scratch. So they get just like this focus on nailing packaging in store. Digital is just a piece of it. The digital content. And that way, SEO is used even in packaging. How about that, huh? You Absolutely. You heard it here first. Yeah. It here first.
1: Um, so. I mean, arguably, like, packaging was an original form of SEO uh, mm-hmm. before there was digital. Uh, I, uh, one more level-setting question about J&J. Um, this is super helpful. The Some of your brands, you guys wholesale through Amazon. Is that correct? So you, have, that is correct, you sell yeah. some, some brands 1P. And are you doing any 3P sales on Amazon? At yeah, moment? we're a
3: partner with uh, PharmaPacks. Okay. I think it's a known fact. Yeah. We're not the only ones. PharmaPax is a scale 3P on Amazon. I think even Amazon, if you heard uh, Eric Broussard today, um, actually suggesting that manufacturers should be on FBA platforms, things of that nature. My belief is an e-commerce strategy is a little bit of everything. Just as Amazon is a piece of the strategy, Amazon calls it the 1P relationship, where very similar to brick and mortar retail, as funny as it may be for you guys to believe. It's the relationship with management is not very different, right? Buying products in bulk, putting truckloads of products in Amazon warehouses and then working with Amazon on the right promotional levers for the consumer, right? Three P, I'm also looking into being a three P ourselves if it's appropriate, because sometimes a given SKU or a brand or a product may not be a fit for the one P business. We might choose to launch it in a different way, a different fashion, things of that nature. Same thing fulfilled by my Amazon. Sometimes that may be the best platform and they're developing the criteria now, but I believe to win in this space and be a leader in this space, you got to touch everything. It can't be a one and done story.
1: For sure, for sure. I, I think we talk a lot about that on the show, that you need a portfolio that there's not a single bullet that solves any of these problems, and uh, increasingly, we're seeing brands sort of have that hybrid relationship with with Amazon in particular, where there's a 1p and 3P uh, component. It's also important,
0: right, to not have all your eggs in the Amazon basket and having some kind of ex-Amazon, outside-of-Amazon strategy is something that I'm starting to see a lot more.
1: Yeah, so uh, perfect segue. Uh, so now we kind of have a good foundational understanding of where J&J is on their digital journey. Uh, I want to go back to Samir, who uh, uh, introduced 1010 Data the last time you were on the show, but just as a super quick refresher, You've got a ginormous panel of consumers. You get to see all of their digital spending behavior, and so you have this super rich source of data that you charge way too much money to J&J and us to consume. Nailed yeah, it. Nailed it. You awesome. nailed it. Awesome. Uh, so what are we seeing like in this category that we should know um, in terms of changing consumer? So patterns? we
0: just um, we just looked at last year's growth to 2017 numbers compared to 2016 and when we came, when Tim and I came on last year, um, we talked about Amazon Private Label and what was happening there. And that's certainly been one of the hottest topics, I would say, of the last couple of years. And what the data shows is that um, private label overall, right, brands like Kirkland and Amazon Elements and Up and Up, were up over 100% over the, over the prior year, which is an astounding amount, right? And that has a, a very big impact on not only disruptive brands, but also on established brands.
2: Yeah. This is a backdrop where retail is growing three to 4% e-commerce 15 to 20. Uh, and then you have Amazon 30. So something growing a hundred percent is really, you know, if you're three X'ing Amazon, that that's pretty darn impressive. It's, it's incredible. Um, we haven't seen growth slow down. We continue to see, you know,
0: just massive growth in the online channel. I think I had sent you, we were talking earlier and, um, We break things out into categories and subcategories, right? You can get as fine as, you know, like dry dog food versus wet dog food, right? That's the type of granularity you can ultimately start looking at. But if you look at pet care was up 57%. Right? It's a billion-dollar industry. It's a huge industry, and it's just continuing. Just private label or all pet care? All pet care. All pet care. All pet care. All pet care. I, didn't, I didn't break out just yeah. on the private so label. So you're case. saying
1: that general Mills investment might have been worthwhile? Okay. <laughs>
3: Not too bad. How about this? The guy knows his numbers. <laughs> <Well done. Not laughs>
0: and then the other 50% category is food and beverage, right? So online grocery is, is something that – and 1010 is kind of getting a reputation for sort of being the innovators in tracking online grocery. And then your category, baby, 48% growth last year. So that's, that's very impressive. Um, and then rounding it out, personal care is 42%. Um, general health is 26%. And then cosmetics was actually pretty slow at 15%. Very
2: cool. Awesome. uh, and then, so this is kind of interesting, so uh private labels growing a hundred percent, you're obviously you know in the world of brands how how do you guys think about this private label thing? Does it not worry you, or are you kind of are like, hmm, this is a little worrisome what what should we do about it?
3: The honest answer to that is personally, I don't worry at all, and I'll give you i I think there's two pieces to the story. piece number one is straightforward, private label has existed for a few decades, it's nothing new, and you look at private labels role in the category, it's very clear to me why retailers have private label, and it's scaled to a certain extent, right? I think the industry is panicking a lot, kind of looking at Amazon's private label and saying, oh my gosh, is this going to do something to my brand equity? And my question to brand marketers is a very straightforward one. You built equity over 20, 30 years, and if you're going to lose confidence over one announcement, then are you sure you're doing the right things to build equity in the first place? I have the supreme confidence that even Amazon's private label is a brand at the end of the day. They're going to depend on a brand to sell it. That's one piece of the story. I think brands will always have equity and Amazon's private label will also be equity-based. Second piece is manufacturers as such over the course of the time haven't really spent a lot of time in looking at should they be partnering with retail and actually developing private label. I don't mean just manufacturing a product in a factory and putting it in a truck, but owning marketing elements off it, actually creating the equity for the brand. Um, The experience manufacturers have in brand equity wouldn't retailers want to partner with manufacturers in the marketing arm of it as well? So I see it as great. This is awesome. Why panic? It's an opportunity for every manufacturer to leverage. The good ones will figure it out.
1: Yeah, uh, it is interesting. Hail to them. I do. Um, I think it's interesting. Like I totally agree. Like private label has been around a long time, and I'm not sure that it's dramatically more threatening now than it ever was. But I, I think what potentially is more threatening is the second thing you mentioned is that retailers are now shifting their focus from private label to owned brands. And to me, that's a more direct competitor with you. And the the example I always like to use because it's the most extreme is uh, Alexa is not a private label Sony Bluetooth speaker. It's the market-leading best product in the category that Mm -hmm. frankly kicks Sony's butt. Um, And so if that becomes the trend, when we see Walmart launching their own mattress brand and and, like, they're investing in marketing and landing pages and, um, you know, their own unique attributes. I guess if that trend continues and Amazon says, all right, well, what, what are the gaps in baby care and where should we, you know, build our own brand? That potentially is a, a, a new threat that puts the, the traditional national brands and the retailers at, at odd, more at odds than they used to be.
3: It's actually an opportunity to flourish. And before we started the show, we were discussing advertising over here, right? And how digital has completely changed advertising and morphed retail over the course of time. And the survivors and the ones who are actually flourishing are the ones who don't conform to old rules. And have basically morphed and mended ways and said, here's how I'm going to play it out. I don't see this as any different. If we walked in and said there's only one way to build brand equity, good luck. Yeah. If we want to conform, good luck. There'll be roles to conform. There'll be places to conform. But there'll be places to seek the opportunity, go chase, play it out, create unique new partnerships, do things. If I asked you guys, you go back 10 years in history, we four of us would be sitting here at a suite in Las Vegas, watching the mountains and actually recording a podcast about private label. You guys would have laughed. But here we are, we're doing it because we've decided to morph and do it. I see it as an exact same. It's a It's a huge opportunity. The ones who are going to exploit it are going to flourish.
2: Cool. Let's, let's put it a little bit. So we've talked a little bit about Amazon, but it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show if we didn't go into it a little bit more. Um, one thing that happened about three months ago is it was revealed that Amazon has filed to be a drugstore essentially in like 20 to 30 states. Uh, you know, in, in these days, whenever ever something Amazon happens like CVS and, and Walgreens Rite Aid and all the stocks cratered 20 percent, you know, you guys are a really large drug company. What, what do you think about Amazon becoming effectively a, 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 a next generation online drugstore?
3: So if you thought about the actual um, industry of um, healthcare, healthcare is a lot more than just the medicational element of it. There's healthcare providers involved. We call them HCPs. There's hospitals involved. The ecosystem of healthcare is very complex, highly regulated in this country. It's not something that'll morph in three days, but neither has CPG morphed in three days. So I actually welcome new players coming in, trying to change healthcare. You got to think of who the winner is at the end of the day, right? All of us are doing things in our lives today to deliver a win for the ultimate person that we all touch, which is the consumer.
1: If, I thought you were talking about my wife. Gotcha. Okay. Generally the consumer. I, I got it. I hope,
3: I hope <laughs> yeah. at home, yeah. that's what you deliver. Exactly. So let me promise you, purpose. Kavita, I do. Yeah. So now I have an excuse to get Kavita to listen to the show. Yes. Yeah. So remember, she's in record label, entertainment, property management. So I got to get her on the e-commerce path. But now you give me a reason. Thank you, sir. Far too kind. So I'm here for you. Back on healthcare, right? Back on healthcare. So I welcome the digitization of healthcare. And honest truth be told, I think very few people realize that there's a lot of healthcare advertising already taking place digitally. It's a lot of programmatic already taking place digitally. As long as the ecosystem is delivering a win for the consumer, I think our role, all of our roles is to find a way to participate, make it better for the consumer. So I welcome all those opportunities. Cool.
1: Uh, I totally agree. To me, like one of the funnest parts of the whole industry is that we can't just follow the playbook that... People have been following for the last 10 years. Uh, so I imagine, since Samir brought you here, that you are a client of 1010 data.
3: Yeah, so Samir and I are looking at creative ways of partnering, looking at not just Amazon's data, but also looking at Omnichannel. We will have we had a chat today standing outside the door waiting for you all about DTC, and looking at not just a POS data and sales and things of that nature, but how 1010 could also get, in, get into share and actually help manufacturers try and understand their role in the category. I mean, if you listen to Samir earlier, he talked about 42% growth, 58% growth, 48% growth. These are no ordinary numbers, guys. I mean, the last time CPG and retail saw 42 and 48%, it's been a while. Yeah. So um, Samir can have some real fun here if he chooses yeah. to. And I I have a strong suspicion he does. If you don't I have to me, say
2: a disclaimer here: the Jason and Scott show takes ten percent of every deal, tr- uh, kind of consummated before, after, or during the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm the
3: worst. Hey, the so lawyers I'll... make me say that, but okay. Keep How up. many minutes before? <laughs> so somebody's going to check in. It's Eight minutes before, I think he's golden. Over. Yeah, but twelve minutes, I'd be worried if I was somebody. So, so We've, the, we have go- a very
2: long cookie, a very yeah. A pre-cookie. Yeah,
3: it lasts forever. Yeah,
2: it's a thirty-day
1: attribution window.
3: I actually clean up my cookies every time. It's automated now. Yeah. So, um,
1: it's cute that you think we're still using cookies. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> cool. sometimes uh, veteran in CPG I told you all style no substance you guys weren't listening so sometimes it gets exposed but back on the partnership right I, I truly believe there's a place for a, a data vendor and I shouldn't say data vendor like morphing into analytics insights things of that nature category growth basket level transaction I'm sure 1010 data over the course of time will play to all those strengths and actually bring that level of relevancy to the CPG industry. Yep. That's what we were chatting before yep. you guys came.
2: So, so data. Let, let's kind of riff on that for a minute. So you know, you're 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 kind of second generation on this. Um, what's your dashboard? So you know, you guys have uh, bazillion SKUs, You're on all these channels. Some are one p, three p. Do you have like a dashboard that you look at? That's kind of like how you're doing. How, how do you think about
3: that? I look at it all. I'm probably not, not your best benchmark because remember, I'm also brick and mortar trained. Mm-hmm. And so I'm no longer interested in a dashboard that just gives me data and says, here's what sales was. And here's what it was percent change year ago. And here's what share is percent change year ago. To, in my eyes, that's the old school way of measuring, which still works in other places. It doesn't work in this space. In this space, share alone is not enough because you're measuring share of an unlimited shelf anyway. So that changes. And if you know the Amazon platform, you know that number of products that show up changes on a minute-by-minute minute basis depending on who launched, who got killed, things of that nature, right? So for me, it's all about the insights and analytics piece. To me, I'll rest when I can find out why she's buying it, as in the consumer, what's transaction-level understanding, what prompts her to buy it, what the behavioral um, drivers are, um, as well as adjacent categories, opportunities, what kind of promotional offers she's looking for, what would drive her to want to make a purchase, when does she come online just to learn, Is it an innovation she wants to learn about? Is it more than that? For example, in the baby category, a lot of research takes place today. Beauty care, a lot of research takes place today. Wound care does less. Research that takes place. So getting to that level of detail, I call it like drivers of the business, truly getting to the causal factors. Yesterday's model, it was display, it was feature in store. Here it's like a complete swing. It's SEO-based content. SEM. We talked about ROAS and ROI. It's really decomposing and getting to that level. That's the dashboard I look at.
2: Okay, cool. So more forward-looking versus the, the mirror, mirror The mirror um, So so when you first started your career at Frito-Lay, I imagine e-commerce was kind of like the sidebar, kind of wacky hobby, you know, experiment. And now uh, at, at many brands, I don't know about J&J, but I, you know, I'm a big CNBC nut. And, you know, you see things like Dollar Shape Club being acquired. Um, P&G has an activist in there that's like disrupting the board, and he claims that they're not doing enough to be direct and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you probably went from being, you know, running this kind of cool little thing on the side that, no one really focused on. To now, I imagine there's a pretty bright spotlight on it. Does does the does your role at uh, a company like J and J get a fair amount of visibility up into the board level, or is it still kind of a you know an interesting hobby? How how to where where is that in the spectrum of those things?
3: What a great question! Right, I can promise you, e commerce is on the radar of our CEO, mm-hmm. of our regional chairmen, of our cross functional leadership. I'm lucky that I work in a company that I get all the support to make this happen. And I think you all know better than I do that it's not about Johnson & Johnson. Any large public company, Wall Street analysts are asking about e-commerce growth. Mm -hmm. So we do have those conversations with investors. It's the right thing to do because it's a part of business that's growing and it's the future of retail in many ways. I won't say it's the only way retail will shape the future, but it's a big piece. And I'm sure investors are very well aware of that. And I'm fortunate that my leadership supports me in this journey and we've been able to build a a good business model that works for everybody.
2: Cool. And another kind of question inside of there, um, the the cost to create a new brand has gone way down. So here at Shop Talk, you know, we're talking, like Jason had Kind Bar on the program. We've seen Bay Water and uh, all these brands just kind of get born in this new digital age. Uh, and it used to cost, you know, millions and millions of dollars to create a brand and, and companies like yours would go and do the $50 million ad campaign and all that. Now that cost has come down. As a house of brands, do you guys, does that, do you, do you kind of find yourselves looking at those things, wanting to maybe acquire them, or does it give you now the flexibility to be entrepreneurial or intrapreneurial and start brands inside, or, or, or both? How, how do you guys think about that?
3: It's a bit of both, to be honest. Um, there, There's a reason why Dollar Shift Club was acquired. It wasn't just the product. It wasn't the dollar raiser alone. It was capabilities. Then you start thinking about Jet.com. It's not very different. right? I've, I've spent a lot of time with Jet.com executives, folks over there. I mean, you're talking about some of the people who know e-commerce inside out. So um, I think talent and expertise is still growing in the industry and CPG companies will have to lean on buying some of that talent and expertise and that's why some of these acquisitions happen. But the wonderful thing that's happened about brand incubation is if you go back to the brick and mortar world to incubate a new brand, you're going to have to trade something on the planogram. And five out of ten times, it's a brand that isn't doing so well that you own. Mm -hmm. And what's changed in this world is you don't have to make that trade. You can launch it. You can do true tests and learns that you can, you know, I was listening to, I believe it was again, uh, Eric Broussard from Amazon. You can fail fast, you can fail cheap and you can make decisions in record time and you can fix things. Yeah. That was the
2: exploding kittens lady. Ex-
3: thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Exploding <laughs> kittens. Yep. I didn't know, by the way, I didn't know what exploding kittens was. Right? <laughs> no, I was Not well, like, no, I
1: was a little afraid to find out, frankly. Oh, that's a great
2: your Your family would love it. It's really fun. It's so kind of so like Uno. I, now I know you know so, Uno, the card game. I do. Kind yeah, of yeah like we play that, that yeah. very often. Yeah, my
3: twelve-year-old Laura and I. Yeah, you would like it. So really I, good I good believe it, it you know. it's an opportunity. Yeah. You go to Uno? Oh yeah. Have you ever tried a double stack Uno? Two card sets at the same time. It's a lot more fun.
1: My family are big card cheats, so it's like you constantly have to watch <laughs> you're to, you're to it. make sure that someone's not swipping other cards under the card they play. It's very sad. One I the, won't
3: reveal what happens on the family table, but I assume <laughs> there's a little bit of element of that at every table.
2: Yes. Brings out the competition in the families. Yeah. Uh, Samir, here's kind of a curveball for you. The um, so we had a listener question come in that was really interesting. Where, uh, if I could summarize, the listener kind of said, "All right, uh, everyone says Amazon's like sixty percent of e-commerce. Uh, they're growing thirty percent. Walmart's growing, you know, you know, t- between twenty-five and sixty percent depending on the quarter. Uh, eBay is growing ten percent. You know, where when you add all that up, you get to kind of like." Twenty-five or thirty percent, and then we always say we always rely on like the ComScore data, the Forrester data that says e-commerce is growing fifteen to eighteen percent. Um, I come to the conclusion that that they're probably wrong. And <laughs> when I've talked to some people in the data industry, you know, they they the what the devil's argument is, they say that a lot of that data is keyed off of the U.S. Census data that comes out, and they kind of they they then take their data and correlate to that. And then there's a lot of people that believe that that census data is just fundamentally wrong and effectively understating e commerce. Uh, do you have a point of view on that or Yeah so I don't know the data I don't know if you can't look at the data just sort of quote any sort of specific numbers.
0: But generally speaking, you know, if you look at whoever's putting out numbers, whether it's ComScore or whoever, any panel of data has strengths and weaknesses. It's a reality, right, that you, you deal with within the space. I mean, my contention based on what we've seen is that stuff sounds that sounds low to me. Yeah you know from and what do you think e-commerce is growing like a range is it i mean i i still think it's it's got to be it's got to be growing in the 30 40% range it's uh every major category is moving online more and more the asps of the products that sell online are higher than the asps that you see in the store there's a sticky factor there's a discovery factor whether whether it's a d2c like looking at neutrogena.com or whether it's something classic like just going to Amazon, um, more and more of my purchases are happening there, and I think you know, probably everyone at this table,
2: it's the same scenario. Sreed, so, does that freak you out? You're kind of in a probably in a world where you're worried about fifteen percent e-commerce growth and making sure your your efforts grow that faster, faster. And what if the bar really is twenty to thirty percent?
3: I think it's a wild swing by category. I think the overall notion that e-commerce is going fast, if any of us are debating at this table, I'd laugh. Hysterically, if I may say so. Um, It doesn't scare me at all. I think if you start looking at what our role is to the consumer, we need to grow at that pace so we can deliver value for the consumer and deliver brands that they love, or Mm -hmm. brands I love, as they would say, in their hands, keep pace with their needs and demands. So I don't fear it at all. I, I see all of this as a giant opportunity for CPG companies to... Take leadership and do what's right for the consumer.
2: So land grab. What, what's the future of CPGs? Is it is it like half direct, half wholesale? You know, there's really kind of, you know, you have an experience with the brand at Costco that's different than the Amazon, that's different than the Rogaine.com or you know, what, what's your, and even outside of J&J, if, you know, I don't want you to give us any secrets, but if you do, that's always appreciated. The uh, <laughs> You know, what, what's, what's your vision for like three years when we're sitting here again, gazing at the beautiful mountains, what, what we'll be talking about?
3: Here's what I've learned in the last three years, right? In in e-commerce, the strategy for today doesn't apply six months from now. And business planning that I kind of planned down and thought just yesterday, I was uh, kind of talking to my manager, our chief customer officer, in terms of what's the next evolution of e-commerce that we need to focus on, right? And we both concurred. Any strategy we're kind of building has got about a six-month run tops. Um, And if I look at a few years down the line, where is business going to be done? I think I'd be fooling you and your listeners if I said Mm. it's going to be only one way versus anything else. It's going to be a mix of it all. It's going to be... Brick and mortar is not going away, first of all. Brick and mortar is here to stay. It's going to have a distinct role, fulfilling a distinct trip mission, depending on the category. I see immediacy means, I see your milk runs, some of the grocery runs being preserved even in the long run in a brick and mortar environment. Those that have low touch feel... Probably going more online over the course of time, I shouldn't say probably, I think they will go online over the course of time. And then when you think of distribution methods, I think companies are going to have to learn that we talked about the 1P, 3P, FBA, you know, being part of all these models, when a retailer is telling you that they want you to be part of it, experiment, learn, and I see the future as touching many things, not just one way.
1: Very cool. Uh, Shri. it sounds like you've been in partner meetings most of your time here, vendor meetings, uh, so I'm guessing you haven't had a chance to like consume a lot of the content or, or uh, walk the show floor.
3: I actually am trying my best not to do vendor meetings in restaurants and bars. Actually go to the booth and talk to vendors to try, truly try and understand who they are. We not meet with one person like classically a business development person only but truly get into the meat of what product they have things of that nature. My belief is on, that's how I ended this guy. Yeah. My belief has always been that hunger and appetite and curiosity for this space is the way we will be able to script history in this space and it's conferences like this that you find that a medium that comes across where two people hold hands and next thing you know there's an opportunity. Nice. So so
1: uh, in the exposure you have had are there any key takeaways or themes that have kind of emerged in your mind from the show? So I
3: think there's good news and bad news over there. I think the bad news is I think a lot of the stuff that I saw is still e-com 101, content, platforms, basics of commerce, SEO, SEM. The good news is I still think there's a ton of opportunity in all those spaces. So I've definitely met with, I mean, our conversation again with Samir right before we started this show. We're just geeking out on what the next set of data needs and insights needs are and where we need to go and things of that nature. Right? This is the place where stuff like that happens. So I've seen plenty of good content.
1: Nice. And Samir, have you uh, seen any other trends of the show that are uh, jump out at you?
0: You know, everyone has been talking it just seems it's been such an Amazon centered focus and I'm waiting to, I'm, I'm waiting to hear some of the outside of Amazon things. Um, it really reminds me you know Amazon today is like Walmart was in the 90s, right? Everybody everybody's scared of them. They're putting the screws to all the vendors. It's just it's a difficult you know it's a difficult spot. They're trying to they're trying to grab as much share as they can, and I'm very eager to see innovation from companies outside of Amazon. So for for example, for the things I don't know if anyone saw the um, Mark Laurie interview today. You know some of the things that Walmart's trying to do are, pretty significant, right? And they're they're placing they're placing big bets to show that they're serious. About going toe to toe, and they've got a lot of assets at their disposal, a lot of smart people. As you were saying, Shri, you know you're hiring people. Some of these acquisitions are just to get the get the development talent, and so those are some of the things that I'm seeing.
1: Very cool. Uh, I think that is a good wrap up, and uh, that's actually going to be a good place to wrap because it's happened again. We've used up all our allotted time, uh, but if uh, listeners want to continue the conversation, we encourage you to meet us over on our Facebook page, and we'd love to chat more. If you enjoyed this show, we'd sure appreciate it if you jump on iTunes and give us that five-star review.
2: And Sri, how can people find you online? You were talking about blogging earlier. I'm
3: on every social platform mankind can conceive, so the easiest (laughs) way is LinkedIn. I actually blog a lot about e-commerce and Amazon and Walmart.com. Some
2: great stuff. Cool, and you you mostly publish in the LinkedIn
3: platform. Yeah, Yeah, I do articles as well. So I have my own website, but I'm not ready to push that out yet but I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, tweet, the whole gamut. And now I will make sure to go to dot com.
2: Yep. And we will put, uh, links to your LinkedIn on our show notes that come out with the podcast. So if folks want to go there, you're going to make a lot of LinkedIn friends. So that'll help your numbers there.
1: (laughs) Are you still mainly on Tinder? Is that still,
2: is that swipe left, (laughs) swipe right? (laughs) Tinder. Seriously, you got, you publish a lot of great stuff too.
0: Uh, yeah, I prefer LinkedIn. People go to LinkedIn, LinkedIn is the is the easiest. Okay. It's the yep. easiest one for me.
3: Awesome. I well, thought he told me before the show it was soulmates.com. Did it change? <laughs> you
2: guys are killing
3: me. I'm, only, I'm joking. Somebody <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> okay. That was a joke. <laughs> cool.
2: Well, we really appreciate you guys taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the show. Thank you.
3: Hey, thank you so much for having me in the first place. Always fun. I think um, my again, my strong belief we're going to shape the industry together. One can't do it alone. So genuinely thank you. Thank you, Samir, for connecting me with Jason and Scott.
1: Uh, I'll give that an amen. And until next time, happy e commerce
0: You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit
2: www.jasonandscott.com.